0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Greg Patton is back today to wrap up his revival meeting, and James Collins welcomes Billy Crone back to the program. Thank you for being here today. We are so thankful that you chose to spend part of your day with us. Whether on the radio, online, or on one of our podcasts, thank you for being here. Before we get into the teaching today, I want to encourage you to check out our website, swrc.com. There, you'll find the latest prophecy-related materials. New items are being added almost every single day, swrc.com. There, you'll find resources by Jonathan Kahn, Tom Horn, Mark Hitchcock, James Collins, J.R. Church, Rob Linstead, Larry Stam. Donald Perkins, Dr. Kenneth Hill, Michael Hoggard, and many, many more. Hundreds of books and DVDs right there for you, your Sunday school, homeschool, or small group. Check it out, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Here is Greg Patton.
1: Revival stalls amidst envy and strife. Are you familiar with that? Back to 1 Corinthians, where we first started here. Verse 3, Paul tells the Corinthians that they're they're still fleshly. Are you still fleshly? Since you've been saved, what has gone out of your life that is of the world? If you're continually yielding to the world, it precludes a person from yielding to what Christ has for them obsession over the lives of others brought about oh envy and strife, and it distracts from a focus upon the life of Jesus Christ. Are you envious of others? Envy? Jealousy? Those are extreme forms of selfishness, and I continue to preach that the root of all sin is selfishness. With envy, we want someone else's life more than we want to be like Jesus Christ. That should be your goal, Why do I want to imitate that guy or that gal? I want what Christ has. With jealousy, we want what others have more than what Jesus Christ is going to give us. These forms of selfishness move us away from any personal revival in our lives and a mission to personal promotion and ego. It's all about me. These sinful characteristics will deny a person then the opportunity to serve others. And that's a big goal, or should be, for every Christian listening. How can I serve someone today? Because, see, there are people all around you who need what you have. They need the message of Jesus Christ. But they need a helping hand. They need love. They may need some financial support that you could give. Any number of things. And somewhere in all of this, revival just gets abandoned. But believers and churches experiencing true revival are just the opposite. Celebrating acts of service was common in a transitional church. Yeah, that one that's really doing something for God, and you want to be in a transitional church, one that's going to a higher plane. They agreed with this statement. Our church celebrates when members serve the local community. Are we doing that in your church, in your area of the country? Fleshly attitudes, refusing service to one another is just a self inflicted wound. It really is. Boy, when I was a young person, I used to tease my sisters, chase them around with garter snakes, scare the fire of them. My older sister got so (laughs) mad one day. She said, Oh, you want to play, huh, Greggy? She chased me down and grabbed a hold of my arm. I didn't know what she was doing. I made a fist. You know how you can do that sometimes? You just do it automatically. You think about it getting ready to fight. And she took my hand, turned it around, and started punching me in the face with my own fist. Now, if I'd have been halfway bright at that time. I would at least flatten my hand, so it was a slap, not a punch, because it was hurting, and I was doing it to myself. It was a self-inflicted wound. When we serve, envy and jealousy have no room to stall you out, and revival happens in your life or in the life of the church. The service becomes an outworking of Christ transforming you, and that's what you should want. Growing each day in Jesus Christ, I mean right till the end. And then revival stalls when we live like the world. We're going to be doing an entire series coming up because it has been my entire life working in the media, starting at age 12. I mean, I have been in radio and television. I have done talk shows on both. We have had highly rated news broadcasts as an man, highly rated radio talk shows. And the world, I'm telling you, my friend, is after you. Those movies, those television, it's pretty hard to turn on any television today, unless you're able to see, you know, one of the nature programs, etc., cetera, uh, or you get on some conservative channel and you're watching something there. It's just so hard. We see the world, and then we want to be like the world. There's a short passage from Paul in question there in verse 3. He simply asks you this, hey, aren't you living like the world? That's what he's saying here in 1 Corinthians 3. I mean, you're just living like the world. You're a Christian? What an indictment for believers who have stalled, who have stifled revival. One of the greatest condemnations that comes into the life of a Christian, you or me, is that he or she has settled for just an ordinary life. And how scary is that? C.S. Lewis, you've probably heard that name, The Weight of Glory, he wrote this, We are just half-hearted creatures, aren't we? We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making little mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are just too easily pleased in the world today. C.S. Lewis. You know what? Lewis is right. We should see the pleasures of this world as nothing more than, for the most part, trash comparison to revival? Are you kidding me? And the transforming power of Almighty God? I mean, that's the life over there. What are we still hanging around over here for? I mean, how old are you? How much longer are you going to live? I'm telling you, life is just too brief to live like the world today and to deny our position in Jesus Christ. Doesn't it seem counterintuitive to you? giving our lives over to the power of Almighty God every day. Make a commitment every day is the active path of experiencing this revival day by day in your life, my friend. So maybe this week. How about starting it this week? We do it at the cross all the time. We have our church pray something like this. Lord, I choose to be sold out totally to you today. Today, let me cross paths with those who need to see how your power can Transform a life. Let me put others ahead of myself today. Rejecting the lure of this old world, it doesn't have anything to offer. God, help me live like Jesus Christ today. Imagine the transformation that is possible when you choose to place God's mission and the interest of others before your very own. If you will put Christ first, others second, and you third, I'm telling you, my friend, you are going to be a winner. I fear that too many people simply hope to survive the day just unnoticed and unscathed, and tonight will be my favorite sitcom on TV, and that's life, huh? I discovered that such a mentality is too much like the world, and I'm sorry just too little like Jesus Christ. What does it take to have a really great revival? You don't want to go back to normal in 30 days, do you? I mean, this is one of those aha moments in life, what you're hearing today. I believe any church, I believe any individual that's experiencing a transformation, I think they all had to go through a very cathartic moment in their life. At some point in time, they looked around and decided that there was much more possible for me. And I'll share on future broadcast. you know what I think you really need? Most people do. Some real pain and heartache into your life. I know when our church came under a demonic attack, one of the gals, her grandmother, who did not go to our church, said this, I'm so excited to hear that your church is under demonic attack. It made me so mad at the time. This lady has to have a mental problem. Who would want that for anyone? But let me tell you something, my friend. You will learn far more in the valleys of life than you will ever live on the mountaintop. And I can say that that woman must have been around a while and knew something about life because it transformed our church as a result of that attack. We became more like Christ, and things began to change. Some came to this conclusion in life because of negative circumstances and, and others because of some great victory. But the principle is very, very clear. You've got to make some decision today. Has a time ever come in your life where you had to make some big decision. I've been married now 55 years. Really? The natural order of things is for your energy to wane. I'm not the man I once was. And sometimes things come to a grinding halt. It will happen to you. But the Christian life does not have to have that intention. It doesn't have to happen. I don't care if you're 90 and listening to this program today. God creates a new life in you and wants to transform your everyday living into a fantastic portrait of the gospel's power in your life, and it should be a beautiful new portrait every day. If you find your life stalled out, my Christian friend, You know what? I think it's time today. Right now, you got to pray about it. I think it's time for you to make a decision. Christ's plan for His people is that they might be more and more like Him. That's what you really want. The day you were saved, that became your dream. Why don't you get started on fulfilling that dream? I mean, you need to do it today. You need to decide today that it's not going to happen to me. There's going to be no more stalling out and stalling is no longer an option. Revival is my new course of action. And choose today, for hope is born in that revival, that transformation. Yep, a relief. There's going to be an open expression of emotion. You might even shed a tear or two with excitement of what God is going to do in your life. Boy, isn't it great what God's Word has to tell us Paul was right. You people are like babies. You got to take that milk. You got to crawl. It's time for many of us to grow up today. And God is waiting for you.
0: For a copy of Greg Patton's complete message, call 1 800 652 1144. That's 1 800 652 1144. 4-4. Biblical truth through a Jewish lens. It's your messianic minute with
2: Larry Stam. Shalom, friends. Larry Stam here with the Messianic Minute, Biblical Connections Through a Jewish Lens. In Isaiah 56, 7, God said about the Temple, For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. When Jesus came to earth and sacrificed his life on the cross, he made the way of salvation to people of every nation. And now all who put their trust in him are welcome in God's house of prayer. For God's redemptive plan is not exclusively for Jews or Gentiles, it's for mankind. For God so loved the world. If you know the Lord Jesus, not only are are you his household, but you are also his house of prayer. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 verses 20-22, through 22, Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Hallelujah! For more connections, visit our website at larrystamm.org or see our Larry Stam Ministries Facebook page.
0: The Bible says in Genesis, chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Let's join James Collins as he talks with Pastor Billy Crone about this verse and a
3: marriage built to last. The Bible says in Genesis two twenty-four: Therefore... Shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh? This is the account of the first marriage. When God created the first man, he sought a suitable counterpart. He chose neither an animal nor an exact duplicate of the man, but instead God created a woman, uniquely formed for intimacy, companionship, co-workmanship, and procreation. God joined together the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, who was taken from man's side in holy marriage. God intended for marriage to be the union of only two people, a male and a female, for the purpose of companionship and the raising up of godly offspring. However, today, marriage is under attack. With me to talk about building a godly marriage is Pastor Billy Crone. He is the senior pastor of Sunrise Bible Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and he is the founder of Get a Life Ministries. Pastor Billy has written a great book titled A Marriage Built to Last, 11 Steps to Building a Solid Marriage. And that book, by the way, is available in our online bookstore at swrc.com. Or if you'd like to get a copy, you can call toll-free 800 652 One one four four. Pastor Billy, thanks for being on the Bible Says with me today.
4: Thank you, Pastor James. It's always great to be on.
3: Well, in a marriage built to last, you write that marriage today is under attack. Tell me more about that.
4: Well, basically, again, of course, I think the easy answer would be what we can see has been going on. Certainly, ever since the Supreme Court decision several years ago, our society, even America, that used to be a Christian nation, is redefining marriage. You know, God defines marriage as one man, one woman. And that's it. Their society is attacking that. Now they're trying to blur the lines. They say, no, it could be two men or two women. No. Or the person now, it's even getting worse. They're saying, well, maybe I'm not a man, I'm really a woman, and vice versa. It's all messed up. It's under attack. To me, that is a spiritual issue because, again, basically that's what the enemy does. You take anything from God, and you try to mess with it, twist it, contort it, to destroy society. And one way to destroy a society is to start destroying the home and certainly you gotta start with the marriage and the family unit. But marriage is under attack, right? Also, not just morally, but think about it, folks. We're getting attacked with consumerism. You look at the average family and marriage, you know, it takes time, it takes work. You know, you work at it. You communicate with one another. You work through issues, but we ain't got time to be families. We ain't got time to be a husband and wife. We're so busy with consumerism. We got to live that American dream. We got to get out there and run the rat race. And, you know, the whole goal of life that society says, God doesn't, but society says, you know, you got to get out there to get a a good job. And a good job is one that pays a lot of money. And why do you need that money? Because you need more money and more money to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't know and then don't even seek and care. And then you not only need one income, you need two incomes. And then you got to get that stuff and you better get it now. You've got to go into debt, right, because you've got to have instant gratification. You can't save up money and be responsible. No, you've got to get it now. And then you become in debt, and you become a slave to that. Now you've got to work another job. Now you've got to spend more money. And guess what? It destroys your marriage because you ain't got time. You ain't got time to work the issues. I, I like what one guy said one time, Pastor James. He said, debt's an acronym, actually, and it stands for dumb excuses for buying things, mm. right? And that's what our society does, right? Gets you in debt because you become a slave to the system, and it steals away your time. And again, so consumerism, this constant busyness, we ain't got time to be a family. Feminism has crept in and is messing with it. They're trying to make men more like women. They're trying to make women more like men. They're getting men and women to fight instead of understanding their God-given roles, that there's complete unity in the biblical model. It's just different. I liken it to like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? One side's got peanut butter on it. The other side's got jelly. And if you put them both together, you have something even more fantastic, right? Well, society says no you have to be like me, or I have to be like you, or, you know, I'm jelly, but I want to be like peanut butter. No, leave it alone. God made them male and female on purpose different, for a good reason. And then, of course, the whole sexual revolution that we're still dealing with, unfortunately, from the 60s and the 70s, and you wonder why, you know, infidelity, divorce, all that. Marriage is under attack. And we need to realize, folks, that it doesn't mean you got to, oh, just give up and roll over and be defeated. No, understand it's not going to be as easy as it used to be, okay? The good news is, God says, if you'll just devote the time and take the time to do the work, okay, then you can have a marriage built to last. You just got to do it God's way, and stop living the way the world or thinking the world says you need to live and act and behave in attitudes towards marriage. You need to get back to God's way.
3: Well, now, you said men and women are different, and to that I say, <laughs> praise God, viva la difference. But. <laughs> Other than the obvious physical differences, you write about how men and women are different emotionally. I know, for example, in my own case, my wife, her love language, if you will, she really loves for me to tell her that I love her. I, on the other hand, I'm, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it, know, it's okay, whatever. But when she tells me that she's proud of me, I'm telling you, boy, my chest kind of pokes out and I really thrive on that. And the Bible talks about husbands love your wife, wives respect your husband. So tell us, how are men and women different other than the obvious physical differences? A
4: couple things. One, you know, men are more into conquering things. Ladies are more into cuddling things, right? You know, you go to the grocery store, what's the guy want to do? He's going in there and he wants to conquer. He's going to go in there and get his stuff and get right back out and beat his time, right? But for the ladies, you know, we joke and say, no, they take their time. They go up and down every aisle typically. And Developing a relationship before a commitment to make the purchase can be made, etc. blah, blah. We laugh at that, but that's just the difference. Men are visually superior, typically. Ladies are more visually sensitive. That's why when you're driving down the car and all of a sudden your wife might scream, hey, look out, look out, and you're saying, what are you talking about? There's 10 blocks down the road. It's because ladies are typically, they have a more sensitive peripheral vision, right? doesn't mean she's out to get you or nagging you. It just means that there's a difference there. Or when we come home, ladies typically, home is a nesting place. Home is a nest. For men, hey, it ain't a nest. It's just a resting place, right? You come home, a hard day's work as a man, you sit in a chair, and she comes over with the honeydew jar because there's a mess in the nest. It needs to be fixed, right? Not trying to start an argument. It's just a different. And that's just, you know, kind of physical differences. Psychologically, ladies are emotionally sensitive. Guys are typically insensitive. It's not that we don't have emotions. We've got a couple around there somewhere. But that's not a bad thing, right? In a time of crisis, you want somebody who's not as emotional leading to the way out of the mess. But, again, there's pros and cons and everything. For ladies, it's great that God designed you with emotions because that's what's needed for the nurturing care of the family and the kids, etc. Leave it alone. God knows what He does. And then here's a big one. I remember coming across this stat. Ladies tend to communicate more. Men communicate less. In fact, men on average speak 12,000 words a day. Ladies speak about 25,000 words a day, right? And that explains a lot, right? When the husband comes home from a hard day's work and... The lady says, hey, how was your day? And he doesn't hardly say much. It's not that he doesn't care. He's already used up his 12,000 words for the day, <laughs> basically. But the lady, she's just, you know, she's got 13,000 more to go, you know, so get cracking. I like what one lady had said one time. She said, well, the reason why that ladies speak twice as much as men, because we have to repeat everything we say. <laughs> you know, okay, so there's some truth to that. Okay, I get that. But here's my point. As you just read that verse, male and female, God made us on different, on purpose. A man shall leave and cleave to his wife. God made us male and female on purpose. Now listen, our differences are God-given, which means they all serve a great purpose, which means if you're jelly, stop trying to turn the peanut butter, your husband, into jelly. He's never going to be like that. He's peanut butter. And if you're a husband and you're peanut butter, stop trying to turn your wife jelly into peanut butter. You need to acknowledge these God-given differences, now listen, and see how they complement. Our differences from God are not meant to conflict with each other. They're meant to complement each other. You're different. God made you different, male and female, on purpose. Therefore, listen, the other person, they're not your enemy. They're your spouse. And sometimes, as crazy as it is, you know, we look at these differences and we think, well, they're out to get me. They just keep doing the same thing over and over again, and they just try to ruin my day or nag at me or they don't. You know. No, it might just be you're different. And the challenge is, every day, prayerfully, God, how do our differences complement? And I'll give you one quick example. My wife and I learned this one. You know, we grew up in two totally different societies. My growing up was in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. And apparently, as a coping mechanism, we developed an extremely sarcastic sense of humor. My wife grew up in the Bay Area in the city and a very conservative family. And if they laughed, you know, maybe it was one time in 1942. I don't know. (laughs) But it's just very conservative. And so she marries me, Mr. Laughter and Mr. Sarcasm. And to be honest with you, it came out, and eventually I was too much on the sarcasm, right? But frankly, my wife needed to develop a better sense of humor. So you know what God did? I didn't tell my wife, hey, you need to develop a sense of humor. And she didn't tell me, hey, you need to stop being Mr. Funny Guy. Over time, God took two different people with two different backgrounds, with two different families, and two different personalities. He put you together on purpose for a reason. And over time... He began the work where I began to tone down my sarcasm because I needed to. But by being married to my wife, it showed me I needed to do that. And then vice versa, my wife realized that, you know what, life is hard enough as it is. There's nothing wrong with a good sense of humor. And she brought it up. So here's my point. My wife and I are different today, not because she pointed a finger and said, you got to be like me, and I pointed a finger. You no, we allow God to do the work. We begin to pray and say, God, how are our differences not meant to conflict but complement? And listen, we're better people today because we're different people. Stop listening to the lie that you got to be exactly the same. You'll never find somebody exactly like you. You're different on purpose. The challenge is to see how they work together.
3: Amen. Well, I want to tell you, Pastor Billy, I think this book, A Marriage Built to Last, is one of the best products that you have ever put out. And my wife and I actually read this book together a couple of years ago. Back then, I was serving as a chaplain in the Army, and I was stationed for a year in Iraq. And what we would do is I read a chapter in Iraq, and my wife read a chapter back here in the United States, and then we would talk about the chapter together on Skype when we would communicate in the evening. We were intentional about communication, like your book says. It's a phenomenal resource. I recommend everyone to get a copy of this book. My guest on this edition of The Bible Says has been Pastor Billy Crone, the author of A Marriage Built to Last, 11 Steps to Building a Solid Marriage. Pastor Billy, God bless you and your ministry.
4: God bless you too, Pastor James. Take care.
3: This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever.
0: Tomorrow is the final day to access our virtual Prophecy Conference online. If you haven't seen the conference online, don't worry. The conference is now available as a set of DVDs. Ten speakers. That's right, ten speakers. Hours and hours of sound prophecy insights and teaching that you don't want to miss. Perfect for Sunday school, homeschool, small groups, or your personal study. Listen to the lineup of speakers in this DVD set. Rabbi Kurt Schneider, Bill Federer, Dr. Larry Spargiamino, Billy Crone, Bob Cornuke, Todd Friel, Dr. Kenneth Hill, Michael Smith, James Collins, and Greg Patton. Like I said, hours of prophecy teaching that you don't want to miss. It's all compiled for you in a set of DVDs for a gift of $50 or more. Get your DVD set of the Summer Prophecy Conference today. Simply call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Remember, when you order materials like this DVD set, you're supporting Watchmen on the Wall and helping us continue to proclaim that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Thank you to everyone who has been participating and watching the online Prophecy Conference this week. We appreciate you so very, very much. And we hope many, many more will get the DVD set of the Summer Prophecy Conference. Please keep Watchmen on the Wall in your prayers, and we hope that everyone has a blessed and wonderful weekend. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com. That's SWRC.com.